tonight. Folks, you don't want to miss this monologue. It's been six years in the making. That's right, six years in the making. And the end result indicates the planet is a whole lot more insane when it comes to transgenderism in 2023 than it was in 2017. I'm David Menzies, and this is the Ezra Levent Show. Sensorious bug. Well, folks, today's monologue is very special indeed because it's been some six years in the making. Yes, six long years. Well, sort of. Here's the backstory we shot a video way back in the summer of 2017, but it never aired, and I'll explain why in the moments ahead. But alas and alack, a rejected and forgotten video from some six years ago is suddenly very much relevant in 2023. I guess that's what happens in terms of significance with the passage of time. There is great significance to the passage of time in terms of what we need to do to lay these wires, what we need to do to create these jobs. And there is such great significance to the passage of time. Wow, and to think that cat is next in line to become the commander-in-chief should anything happen to the godfather of the Biden crime syndicate? Yikes. Speaking of cats, felines are indeed the crux of the matter for this monologue. You see, back in 2017, super producer Efren Monsanto and yours truly, well, we ventured out to the Canadian Pet Expo that was taking place at the International Centre in Mississauga, Ontario. The Pet Expo was hosting a cat show in which various kitties were vying for a championship trophy. Oh, to be clear, we had no intention of putting an actual feline on display, such as a Persian cat or an American shorthair. Rather, I purchased a berth at the cat show to, well, showcase myself in the guise of my alter ego, Trans Cat. You see, back in 2017, transanity was in its infancy. Drag queen story time was just emerging at the local public library. And biological men, under the caveat of so-called human rights, were only beginning to invade female safe spaces such as change rooms and women's sports teams and women's prisons, all with the approval of Prime Minister Blackface. You know, diversity is our strength, even when it isn't. Anyway, the goal of our cat show safari was to gauge the acceptance level, not for transgender folk, but rather for trans species folk. So without further ado, let's run our five-minute report that has lurked in the Rebel News vault until now. And on the other side of the video... I'll explain why it never did make it to air back in 2017 and why it is that we are finally airing it today. And please, parental guidance strongly suggested. In this day and age of inclusiveness and diversity, really, how accepting are we of the trans community? Oh no, folks, I don't mean transgender. That's so 2016. I mean trans species. Yes, there is a subset of people out there who do not identify as humans, but as a different animal altogether. 
Take the menzoid, for example. Sure, I might look like a member of Homo sapiens now, but on the weekend, I transform werewolf-like into my other persona of... A fantastic feline. Yes, I'm now a cat. That's how I identify. And to celebrate my diversity as a newfound cat, I've entered into the National Cat Show here at the Pet Expo just to see how accepting people are of those who identify as trans species. No! <laughs> For the record, th this is an example of the lack of accommodation of trans species. We could not get my cage in through the front door, so we're walking all the way around. It's like a kilometer and a half to the loading dock. You know, like I'm, uh, you know, a, a, a bunch of rubbish to be disposed of or something. We're going in through the tradesman's entrance. Anyways, we will comply, because I want that blue ribbon. Well, we've been locked out of two, or was it three entrances? But you know what they say, there's more than one way to skin a cat. We found another way. got a chuckle out of that report maybe you were revolted maybe both but you see the video never aired back in 2017 because it was determined by the team that well it was just too weird it was just too outrageous sure the whole thing was a goof but it seemed that this report belonged in an episode of monty python's flying circus not on the rebel news platform so, you may ask, what happened in the meantime and why is this video finally premiering? Well, simple folks, in just little over half a decade, the world has become exponentially crazier. In the hindsight of 2020, that video is not a prank. Rather, it turns out that we were simply way, way, way ahead of the curve. That's because the trans community is no longer all about men pretending to be women and vice versa. Rather, being trans these days is all about identifying as another species, from cats and dogs to horses and bears. Evidence abounds 
with some people actually spending tens of thousands of dollars on a costume in order to look like a different critter. Golly, what would Sir Charles Darwin say if he were alive today? Case in point, earlier this month, we aired our report on the curious case of Cody Dentremont, a.k.a. Desiree Anderson. This reprobate is a biological man who then decided to identify as a female in order to get into a woman's shelter in Windsor, Ontario. By the way, check out this photo of Cody. I mean, come on. He's not even trying to look like a female. Who does he think he is, Ash, a.k.a. Tommy Davis? That's that male rugby player who plays for the Fergus Highlanders women's rugby team. I mean, say what you will about Kerry Look Lemieux, the Oakville Trafalgar High School shop school teacher who is likely suffering from autogenophilia. But at least Busty Lemieux makes an effort to look female albeit a grotesque caricature of a female. I mean, Busty Lemieux straps on a set of Z-cup fake boobs and dons a blonde wig and applies copious quantities of makeup to his face so that at least he will appear to be female, well, from a certain distance. But dudes like Cody and Ash, they're just mailing it in. I just hate laziness, folks. But here's the deal with Mr. Detriment. In April, Cuddly Cody was charged with sexual assault by Windsor police after he allegedly preyed upon a real female at the woman's shelter. Oh, I know. What a shock. Nobody saw that coming, right? But to show you the level of transanity out there, even after his arrest, the young female staff at the shelter still are on Team Trans Cody. And insensitive queries about trans people, well, those are strictly verboten. Here, check it out. How does a biological male get into a female shelter, ma'am? Yeah, it was a transgender woman. So that's my only comment that I'm going to say about that. Okay, but at the end of the day, that's a man, right? Transgender woman. Okay, I, but don't you see that there is an inherent that's danger? That's my only comment. That's my okay. only comment. She's a transgender woman, so... We take trans women here because they are women. So please don't kill me. Thank you. Well, you're in a public place. No, I'm actually at my workplace, but please yeah. don't film me. Well, Thank there's you. there's no expectation of privacy in an open place okay, like so this, ma'am. We are going to have to call the police. Okay, for standing on a sidewalk? Don't film me. Thank you. Okay, but you approached us. You interrupted I'm us. I'm approaching you because you're filming my clients and our property. Well, no, we're not filming your clients. You're, you're, you're quite wrong about that. And okay. what's your opinion of a biological man okay. staying with biological people? I'm no. just going to call the police. Wow. Woke indoctrination. Such a sad thing, isn't it? Indeed, I never dreamed I would run into biological women who are essentially misogynists all in the name of accommodating so-called transgendered people. And yet, here we are, folks. And what's the deal with this knee-jerk response when it comes to calling upon law enforcement if you don't like the questions of a journalist? It's bizarre. But here's the deal. Since being charged, Cody has reinvented himself yet again, going from male to female to feline. Oh. oh, it's true! It's true! Yes, Catwoman Cody, who is apparently currently out on bail, 
is walking the mean streets of Windsor these days wearing Halloween cat props such as pointy ears and a tiger tail. You know, we tried to track him, her, it down earlier this month in his habitat, but this cat is as elusive as the Arctic lynx, a.k.a. the ghost of the north. However, while at the shelter, we met a resident there who told us that, yes, indeed, Cody the female is currently identifying as Cody the feline. And, and ma'am, we reached out to someone who's, uh, you know, knows about this shelter and mm -hmm. has uh, friends here. And she told us, and I'm not making this up, yeah. I wish I were, mm -hmm. that right now this Cody Dentremont yep. is identifying as a cat. Yes, he is. <laughs> yes. It, how, how does one identify as a cat? He dresses up as a cat? Or? Yeah, I believe he does. I've never seen him in dress up, but he is, does identify as a cat now. Man, woman, and cat. So he was a man, he became a woman, now he's a cat. It sounds to me, and I'm not trying to be mean here, I'm not, not making a joke, but, well, shouldn't he be getting psychiatric treatment? There's a lot of people that need psychiatric treatment, yeah. and there's a lot of people that need help, but they're not getting it, they're dying. You know, kudos to this lady for taking ownership of a dog. Man's best friend is a true ally indeed when it comes to dealing with creeps or cats. And these days, Cody Dentremont fits both descriptors. But let's move from pseudo pussycats to counterfeit canines. As my beloved colleague Alexa Lavoie discovered at the Montreal Gay Pride Parade earlier this month, Apparently, the T in LGBT now stands for trans species in the form of dogmen, some of whom actually brought along a doghouse on wheels. Check out this snippet. Uh, for the most part, yes. Uh, maybe a dance club at 3 o'clock in the morning, no. But this sort of thing, middle of the afternoon, the parade, I think it's a great educational experience for kids and bring it on. Doggone it, where the hell is animal control when you really need them, eh? And you know something? I spotted something completely different at the 511 mark of Alexa's video. Here, please check it out. What the hell? That was neither man nor beast, but I've seen this thing before. Oh yes, that's right. It's from the Star Trek episode, Arena. That was obviously a Gorn. Okay, would you believe the Montrealer was a Gorn in blackface? But good golly, is this where we're now headed with transgenderism? Even being a different species is now passe? Now the final frontier is mimicking a different life form? A fictional critter that is entirely alien to planet Earth? Wow, talk about where no man has gone before. And that's the thing. You saw how I was treated as a trans cat back in 2017 when I was briefly on display at the cat show. There was a collective freak out. No acceptance. No reasonable accommodation. It wasn't even a matter of trans cats go to the back of the bus. It was trans cats get off the damn bus. But here's the thing, folks. I have a feeling that if I replicated this stunt at next month's Pet Expo cat show, things would be a whole lot different. 
I don't think I'd be treated like a patient who just escaped from Arkham Asylum, but rather I'd be looked upon as a sensitive individual who is merely conveying his inner cat. And I think if security were to frog march me out the building like they did back in 2017, well, I would have reasonable grounds for an Ontario Human Rights Commission complaint and methinks after the tribunal heard my case, this cat would be walking out of that fake courtroom with a real six-figure check. Alas, what was once considered to be mental illness is now looked upon as diversity, equity, and inclusion. And if you, Mr. and Mrs. Law-Abiding Normal Canadian, have a problem with that, well, it is you that shall be dispatched to a mental health institution. You know, for some reprogramming. It's for your own good, you understand. Yeah, I know. Talk about the tail wagging the dog. Well, folks, perhaps all of us, when we were younger and dumber, as the saying goes, well, we've done some really boneheaded things, perhaps even doing things that resulted in a criminal charge. But these days, law enforcement and the justice system, they've become increasingly politicized. Case in point, my guest is the father of a 15-year-old boy. In June, this boy, along with his friend, were horsing around in East End Toronto. They ended up stealing an item and they vandalized it. It was regretful. It was dumb. But the end result is hate crime charges for damaging an inanimate object? <laughs> what gives? And joining me now is John. That's not his real name, folks. John has requested anonymity for this interview, which we have granted. First of all, welcome to the Ezra Levent Show. John, right off the bat, do tell us what happened on that June night. There was a bunch of young boys. Um, my son was one of them. And what they were doing is going around the neighborhood and ringing people's doorbells and running away. Juvenile behavior, you know, not the greatest thing to do, but something I remember doing myself when I was young. Um, there were probably eight to a dozen boys that were participating in this. Again, all young, all, you know, pushing each other to be tougher, smarter, braver, manlier, etc. Typical, typical teenage adolescent behavior. Now, one of these boys, not my son, grabbed a um, pride flag in addition to ringing a doorbell and ran with it. And later on, apparently, that pride flag was um, burnt, damaged. Now, the owner of that home had a security camera, and he captured the um, image of the boy who took the flag. The police were called, and they started to interview all the boys whose images were captured. My son was one of the boys who the police interviewed, they said to him, look, we know you didn't do it um, and want to just turn with you and read you the riot act. You need to be careful what you and who you associate with and don't associate with people who get you to do dumb things. 
all things I agree with. The one thing that I didn't agree with was the police officer spoke with me and said that the young boy who took the flag had been charged with a hate crime. I was absolutely shocked. Now, I don't agree that this boy stole someone's property off their porch. That's wrong. And I think that them being caught for that is appropriate. I think them having some level of punishment for taking someone's property, burning it, is absolutely appropriate. But to me, a hate crime, I myself have a background of coming from a, um, a country steeped in tyranny. And in, in, in my home country, I experienced real so-called hate crimes. People would physically accost us, assault us, um, they defaced our property and would say things about our ethnic background um, in their um, defacement of our property. Nasty things, vile things. I'm not a fan of any of that stuff. But boys being boys, stealing a flag, even burning a flag, isn't the same thing. These are just boys that want to tweak their noses at what they see to be authority. And in this case, the authority are the folks that are pushing pride. And I want you to know, even though I am from a country steeped in tyranny, growing up, my best friend was uh, a gay man. He was very nervous about letting me know that he was gay because I came from a country where that was, you know, historically not, not tolerated very well. When he finally told me, he said, I thought you were going to hate me. And I said, no, man, you're, you're a brother to me. I, I, I love you. It's, you know, you're, you're, you're gay. I'm straight. It's all good. Live and let live used to be the order of the day. Um, and I was in my 20s attending pride parades back in the days when it was just, you know, one day on the weekend and all sorts of things. You know, I, I have been somebody who has had gay people around him in his life and has treated them no different than I treat anybody else. Someone's sexual orientation, in my opinion, is none of my business. It's their business, just like my sexual orientation is none of your business. It's my business. As long as we're doing this with consenting adults, no one's getting hurt. There's not a problem. And I can tell you that my friend, who's unfortunately passed away right now, um, he would be appalled at what's being done to these young boys. Appalled. You know, that... John, that, that is interesting. You've said a lot that, you know, we need to unpack here. First of all, I agree, you know, the crimes, as far as I can tell, it was theft, it was destruction of property, and yes, there should be consequences. And we know because these boys are um, young offenders, um, you know, the consequences will not be all that severe. But when you introduce this element of a hate crime, you see, I thought basically the scope of a hate crime is if you went after somebody for their ethnicity, their religion, their sexual orientation, you know, if you advocated harm to them or actually carried out harm to them for those reasons, yeah, I get it. It's hateful. It, it, it's a hate crime. But as I said in the intro, John, this was an inanimate object. It's easily replaceable. It There can be compensation paid. Why is it that this meets the benchmark of a hate crime to begin with? I can only speculate as to why that is. But based on what the police officer said, that there was a lot of pressure from up on high in the police oh. department for them to make an arrest. He didn't come out and say, you know, who uh, the up on high pressure was. 
um, and it would be speculation on my part, but that would be at the highest levels of the police department. And he, he also stated that that pressure came from the highest levels of the police department because they in turn were pressured by the highest levels of government politicians, telling them to uh, come down hard on these types of quote unquote hate crimes. You know, John, I find this absolutely astonishing because if you look at what we are dealing with in so many major cities in this country, it's a direct result of the uh, Justin Trudeau uh, laissez-faire attitude to crime and punishment. You have people who have been charged with attempted murder out on parole, violating routinely their bail conditions. These are bad dudes causing real harm. And you're telling me the political class and I guess the brass at the Toronto Police Service, um, they were hot to trot on this because this was a, a, a pride flag. Again, an inanimate object. And, and yes, it shouldn't have been stolen. It shouldn't have been destroyed. But it looks like they are using a bazooka to kill a fly. Yes, 1,000%. And I want to say something this way. And again, this is pure speculation on my part. But um, the boys in question are not what you would call um, Canadian-born white children. They are the children of immigrants, mm -hmm. all right? And they're boys. And for the political leadership of the city of Toronto, who's in charge of the police department, to say that they're going to get the police to come down hard on these boys smacks of racial bias on the part of the political leadership, and in particular the mayor, Olivia Chow. Um, it is my opinion that Olivia Chow um, is a holier-than-thou person who points one finger out screaming racist, bad, evil. She's doing this with the uh, attempting to rename Dundas Street. Uh, mm -hmm which was named after Henry Dundas, a noted abolitionist. And she is claiming he's a racist. And three fingers are pointing back at her. And she is the one, in my opinion, by calling a man who was an abolitionist a racist is showing her own racial bias for a man who defended uh, black people in a time where there was real cost to that shows that she has some racial bias toward people that aren't of the same background as her to me. And progressives have always been the true racists. I believe progressivism itself is a racist ideology. And right now, all they're doing is they're hiding it. The way that they're hiding it is they're using Saul Alinsky's methodology, which is to scream and yell and say, no, it's you, when it truly is them. There is racism in their heart. There's racism in the heart of progressives all over the place. And I personally, even though I'm doing it on the shield of anonymity here, and I appreciate that, call out Mayor Olivia Chow her racism and going after boys of color and attributing motives to them that they don't have. They're just, trying to be, they're just trying to be boys, proving their manhood, which boys have done along the way. And I'm not saying it was the right thing to do or a good thing to do, but to equate this with somebody going and finding a gay man and beating them half to death because they're gay is appalling. It's absolutely appalling. This woman ought to be ashamed and embarrassed of herself. And who put this on boys, young boys of color from Middle Eastern cultures, where the attitudes, let's be honest, there are not the same as the attitudes of people who've lived here for generations 
and leaving no time for assimilation, no time for understanding, shows to me that Olivia Chow is part of the problem and not part of the solution. Her late husband, Jack Layton, is a man who I never necessarily agreed with. But I'll tell you this, before he died, he touched my heart because he obviously cared about this country very deeply, and he obviously, even though I believe he was mistaken in many of his policy prescriptions, had a message of unity for people. She does not. And to go after boys is wrong, to go after boys of color is wrong, and to pretend that you are some champion of anti-racism while doing it is the worst of all. And I would, I would hope that this video goes viral enough that enough people see the true colors of Olivia Chow and she never comes near elected office again. You know, uh, John, you've touched upon something profound there. Um, and I'm going to um, speak about an analogy my boss, Ezra Levent, makes when it comes to the human rights racket. It's like a poker game. And by that, I mean, um, if you are, say, a white, able-bodied Christian male, that's maybe a seven of clubs, right? But if you are a minority, if you are a, 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 a person of color, if you are disabled, and on and on it goes, uh, suddenly you become a pair, a full house, a royal flush. And I think what we see here uh, right now, when it comes to the pinnacle of the human rights pyramid, uh, basically, the beloved group of the day right now is the LGBT community. This is the ultimate sacred cow. This is the royal flush. And therefore, because that was a rainbow flag that was stolen and burned, as opposed to, say, a Canadian flag, that's why the powers that be want to make an example out of these kids. What say you, my friend? Bang on, 100%, and it's despicable. It's virtue signaling that it's very worst. It has nothing to do with teaching these young boys how to become better boys, better men, which is what our uh, political leaders should be trying to do. And John, tell me, where does this stand right now? I, I guess eventually it'll go to some kind of trial. Um, I, I guess the lucky thing for these kids is that they are under 18, therefore they are young offenders. It's not the same kind of a p penalty that would apply to those that are uh, the age of majority. But what is the potential penalty if, for example, uh, this boy is committed, uh, or sorry, convicted of committing a hate crime, uh, which as far as I can tell is really just theft and property damage? I can't answer that question because I'm not an expert on the niceties of the law, but uh, if you bring on a, an attorney, I'm sure they'll be able to give you a deeper, fuller answer, and I encourage you to do that. But I, I can tell you that just based on a cursory um, uh, understanding of hate crime law, there are deeper penalties associated with a crime uh, if it's considered a hate crime than if it were not considered a hate crime. So, for example, if you just beat somebody up and broke their jaw, you might go to prison for, you know, six months. But if you broke their jaw because you didn't like them because of their ethnicity or their sexual orientation, that could add one, two, three, five years to the prison sentence. So it definitely is an accelerator of the punishment. That I can say with confidence. But how much it is, I can't speak to that. And John, can you tell me a little bit about the mindset 
of this boy that burned the flag and of your own son in light of the police getting involved the way they did. How, how are they feeling right now? Has this shook them up or uh, is it just water off a duck's back? Well, I can't speak for that young boy because I've not been in touch with him and I am not in touch with him. Uh, for my son at the time, it was very salutary. Uh, I had a chat with him and said, hey, burning property uh, and damaging property is always wrong. And I also sat down with him and said to him, listen, you're living in a time where if you take action against uh, somebody and it's perceived that it's done for, uh, you know, bias reasons, whether you meant it or not, the consequences to you can be potentially horrific. So you need to be like Caesar's wife, above suspicion. That message took hold. But he's a 15-year-old boy. He's moving on with life as he should be, as all 15-year-olds should be. And this other boy, I don't know what he's dealing with. I frankly can't even tell you I'm sure the charges have stuck. It's possible they may have not stuck. That's something perhaps your investigative team can look into. But what I can tell you with a lot of confidence is this. We should have never come to this. The police should have just had a chat with this boy made him go apologize to the individual whose property he damaged, forced him to give restitution and and have the boy's parents go and do the same. In addition to restitution, maybe provide the, the individual with some gesture, a gift, something to show remorse. And that should have been the end of it. There should have been no jail time. There should have been nothing. And then the police should have said, you've been warned. This happens again. You are going to get deeper consequences. I'm with you. You know, John, we, we've got uh, uh, just a few moments left, but I'm with you, John. I I think this is an overreaction to the crime that was committed. Don't get me wrong. Uh, I have empathy for this homeowner. Nobody likes to see property being stolen and then vandalized or, or set on fire. I get that. He should be compensated for his loss 100%. Um, there should be some kind. Yeah. Yeah. More than just compensation. There should be more than just call it here. Here's your flag back. There should be something more than that. But it, it shouldn't ruin this young man's life. That's the main point. And let's hope it, it doesn't. I, I mean, uh, of course, there's a publication ban on um, crimes that young offenders commit. I mean, you cannot name uh, that person unless they're dangerous and at large, and then that's only a temporary thing. So we will um, try to find out. Uh, when this trial is going to happen, find out what does indeed happen at the end of the day. Um, John, I'm sorry this happened. Sorry for everybody, really. But um, again, I think an overreaction. It's just like you see in some municipalities, there are pride crosswalks uh, being painted, typically at $12,000 a crack. And if somebody leaves a skid mark, that is considered to be a hate crime. I don't know why we're painting rainbows on roads in the first place, but that's a story for another day. Um, but I think, yeah, you know, but but at the end of the day, uh, this is really no harm done to an individual or a group of individuals. Uh, I don't think it's a bona fide hate crime. Last word goes to you, John. We live in Canada, the greatest nation on the face of the planet. This is a country where the people truly have love in their hearts for one another. 
I do not experience racism on a day-to-day basis, and I'm obviously not a man born here. And most people just want to have a sense that their lives are working, that they can create enough income uh, and a future for themselves and those that they love. And they want to have something to feel proud of. And they've always felt proud of being Canadian, of our tolerant nature, of the fact that we're really amazing at hockey and, and, and things like that. Um, that's what I see day to day around me. So I have hope because the Canadian people are good and just. But I'm telling you, our politicians are rotten to the core, to the core. And we all need to wake up. And when some of them behave in a fashion that's designed to divide us, that's designed to cause harm to people, and then they get up and they scream at everybody else and call them racist, we need to stand up against that in the strongest possible terms. And those who yell racist the loudest are themselves the deepest, most committed bigots on the face of the planet. And those are the ones that we must never allow near power ever again. John, thank you so much for your time. And please uh, reach out to us if you find out about any further developments uh, regarding uh, the court cases that are about to emerge. Thank you once again, my friend. My pleasure. Folks, lots of feedback to the last time I hosted the Ezra Levent Show regarding my monologue on continued transanity on the rugby field and my interview with Franco Terrazano of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation pertaining to those tax on taxes that we pay every time we gas up the car. Canuck in Kyoto writes... We knew decades ago that recycling, paper replaced by plastic slash paper being recycled until it is gray in color, would lead to sick forests. Trees must be cut in order to rejuvenate forests. By disallowing trees to be cut, lumbering, and allowing paper companies to manage healthy forests, we've created a perfect fuel source for forest fires. You know, I agree with you. A a lot of these fires, I feel, could have been prevented by proper forest management. But then again, you get those aged hippies out there blocking the roads, preventing forestry from occurring. And the end result, well, look at the infernos we've seen across our great dominion this summer. Unbelievable. Free West Guy writes, the whole point of the fake climate change narrative is to make you feel guilty and that you are destroying the environment, heating your home, using your electricity and driving your car. Then the government can make you pay stupid carbon taxes, which do nothing to assuage the fake problem that they made up. You know, I totally agree. And wouldn't it be kind of nice if the climate crusaders in government you know, at least pretended to practice what they preach. Case in point, whenever Prime Minister Blackface shows up at an event, there's an eight-vehicle entourage. They're not electric vehicles. They're not even plug-in hybrids. They are giant SUVs that are fueled with fossil fuels. They have have eight-cylinder engines. And, uh, oh, by the way, they continue to idle to keep them warm in the winter and nicely air-conditioned in the summer. Yeah, so when blackface sets an example, I think the rest of us should follow suit. 
but don't hold your breath. My two cents writes, how high would Josh Windsor bounce, I wonder? Well, Josh Windsor, he is the president of the Waterloo County Rugby Club. And if you didn't see the monologue, folks, this guy, and I'll call him a misogynist, this guy actually issued a directive to all the female Waterloo players that if they were nasty to Ash Davis, they could be fired from the team. And if he deemed that their nastiness was hateful, he was going to call the Waterloo Regional Police. What an absolute despicable disgrace to the concept of chivalry. Well, folks, that wraps up tonight's edition of the Ezra Event Show. I believe the big boss man is back in the studio tomorrow. In the meantime, as always, stay safe and stay sane.